Okay, welcome to Blub Talks. I'm Robert McKenzie, teaching sensei at Speech Blubs. And today we'd like to introduce parenting expert and best-selling author, Susan Donnellan, whose books, whose book, Secrets to Parenting Without Giving a Fuck, an F, a beep, teaches methods rooted in the Montessori method that are meant to help develop happy humans. I'm sorry about that. I, I still struggled with how to say the title without saying the word. And I think people get it. No problem. <laughs> it's a memorable one. It's, it's great. The complete title of your book is my favorite of the past 10 years, which is Secrets to Parenting Without Getting giving an F, the nonconformist playbook to raising happy kids without public meltdowns, power struggles, and punishments, and is now available for sale on amazon.com. So check it out. I highly, highly, highly recommend the book. My wife is now reading it, and I kid you not, we're talking about this book on a daily basis like, Robert, no means no. <laughs> no negotiating. So we'll get to that. Okay, her askmomparenting.com platform removes the daily overwhelm from parenting. She mentors parents on the parenting mindset for achieving positive, quick shifts in their child's behavior. This mindset, though, starts with the parent. As a mother of four grown children, including triplets, age 23, her eldest, and the triplets who are 19, she has been through all parenting phases, and I think we can all call her an expert and is here to help as many parents as possible. This interview will be a slightly different format in that I'll start with some questions about your work, and then I'm going to ask you to comment on just a few of the quotes that are amazingly relatable, and everybody can learn from them and understand them because they're so... Um, they stick out and they just want to be talked about. So here we go. First question. Now your eldest child is age 23. Your triplets are 19. I said that. You have identical boys and they have a fraternal sister in the triplet group. Uh, can you tell me about that experience of parenting that must have been? Well, okay. So yes, it was It was quite uh, quite interesting and fun. It was a, it was a very fun dynamic, uh, but it took me a little while to get used to it. Um, so uh, originally I never really was sure that I wanted kids and I married a man who loves children and I thought I'll have a kid for him. How nice of me and how bad could it be? Uh, so I, I had our first one and it became obvious that he needed a sibling because we were just kind of tripping over ourselves and accommodating his every need. And Anyway, went to have our second baby and I ended up with the triplets. So my first reaction, well, I had many reactions, but one of the main reactions was feeling sorry for my oldest one because I thought, you know, he's not going to get any attention. He's not going to get any time. How am I going to manage all of this? Uh, and then once the kids were born and they started getting old enough to interact with him, it was actually quite funny because he wasn't able to pull older brother antics. Uh, they would circle the wagons and that th th those three were a very strong bond. Uh -huh. So anyway, I found that, you know, compared to my friends that parenting um, a singleton and then the triplets was quite a difficult challenge. It really made me raise my parenting game because um, 
you know, you had the identical boys and the girl and you've got the different sexes, but I found myself really having to work on our oldest to make sure that he could integrate in, there's a three-year age difference and uh, just him trying to be bossy or making people cry or whatever he was doing, uh, it just became, it became more of a challenge. It's a challenge with four, but it became an interesting challenge with those three and the older sibling. In fact, a quick little side note, I had another friend, two friends with triplets, and uh, I said, you know, I'll do triplets all day long. What makes triplets hard is the older sibling. <laughs> so imagine your organizational skills must have really come to the fore, you know, and yeah, yeah. Off. I stepped up my game and I, and I had game. I didn't even know I had. <laughs> I'm fascinated. You sort of touched on it. The dynamic between the triplets themselves, um, between your daughter and her two brothers. Did she f ever feel left out? Was she running the show? Was she, left, uh, you know, what was it like for her as the girls? Uh, well, uh, you know, because I had my own little um, representative sample, I can tell you that girls do, you know, progress and grow and mature more quickly. Yes. Uh, so she was certainly, she was the first one pulled out. So out of the three, she was at the bottom, she was pulled out. So she was, all of them were born in the same 60 seconds, but she was the oldest and right. she never lets them forget. Okay. So she tended to be, you know, very empath empathetic and very nurturing, um, and, and the boys were kind of more shy. So she kind of came into her own more quickly. Uh -huh. uh, so her and her older brother have like more confidence in that way. They were more, you know, they, they bonded a little bit more quickly because she was moving along at a more, at a quicker pace. Right. Um, just understanding things more quickly, being potty trained more quickly, walking faster, that type of thing. Uh, right. But so she, she's large and in charge. <laughs> she, <Okay. laughs> It's like my my ten year old and her seventeen year old brother. The ten year old runs the show. There's yeah, no yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's even more so now that they're older. <laughs> I can imagine. Now, um, you mentioned to me when I first met you that your triplets, your your boys, actually had some speech therapy in the beginning. Can you tell yeah, us? They how? did. Yeah. Um, they had a hard time seeing ours and a few other uh, a few other sounds, but it sounded it was kind of like a, a it was a delayed sound like a delayed speech sound. It was it was um, well okay. I only, I have a funny example, um, but they were on a ski lift and my husband was filming one of the boys and he he said something about when you have to go to the bathroom and you have to fought and <laughs> like you you think you have to fought and. So once we played that back and we were watching it on the bigger TV, we, my husband and I acknowledged, it was very obvious at that point, like, okay, we really need to get on this because they're not being, you know, they're not able to, to delineate those sounds. And so we did get some speech therapy. Um, I think they were probably in about second, third grade at that point. Uh-huh. How long did it last? Just curious. I think we were able to get it solved within about two years. Uh, it was about one and a half to two years. And, you know, just the, the maturity of their mouth and the control of their tongue and, you know, all of those types of things. And they were able to, you know, I wish we had something like a speech gloves because we 
you know, had we go in the old fashioned way, go in and you know, allocate time and do if they had a self-directed way to be able to use an app and practice, especially with them having each other, it would have been ideal. So, um, yeah, it, well, it was a great point in saying that they solved it before the bullying um, phase of their life sort of kicked in, which, you know, how kids are able to pinpoint anybody's weakness or different. Mm -hmm in any way yeah. so that's great that's fantastic okay yeah okay now say i'm a parent who needs parenting help how does it work getting to you finding you do you make an appointment do you um sort of do a needs assessment how does it go uh, well you know i'm i'm really uh you know, I'm not a traditional, you know, doctor or whatever. I tend to be a little bit more relatable, more mom to mom, parent to parent. Uh, so it's very, I'm very accessible. And, you know, you could go to the askmomparenting.com website and everybody has to go through a 20 minute free con a consultation. Really what that does is it establishes my foundational principles and where they're at and if there's a fit. So, um, you know, that, that, that initial 20 minutes just lets me gauge where they're at. And I have three different mentoring programs. So based on where they're at and what I think might be going on and what we both agree is going on, you know, I'll match a program that fits what their needs are, you know, and those programs go more by time. And, you know, is it a recurring repetitive issue? Is it more of a crisis where we can handle this one particular issue more quickly? Or are we looking at, you know, establishing a foundation in the home. That's a more long-term, it's more of the long game program. Uh, so after the 20 minutes, then we'll determine where we want to go from here. And if there's a fit and then we'll sign them, you know, they'll, they'll select the program that fits them best. Uh -huh. And how, how do the parents receive your advice, your support? Um, is there a period of them having to sort of learn to accept something that must be difficult to hear, you know, like you're doing um, quite right, or are they so ready that they're just like a sponge? You know, it depends. It, it really depends. Um, it it, it kind of depends on the level of overwhelm and how quickly they're, if they're, if they're really at the point where they've tried everything and they're just like, I just need this to go away. I just need this to be fixed. What do I do? Hat in hand, help me. What do I do? Then they're at that point where they're going to be a little bit more open and, and ready. But I would say that my, the, the, the clients that kind of adapt more quickly are the ones that have a little bit more self-awareness to where they, they are honest about the situation. They're not blaming, you know, the spouse or the partner. They're not blaming other situations. They're taking ownership of the power that they have as a parent and saying, you know, that if I'm willing to accept credit when my child is behaving well, by default, I also need to accept credit for when they're misbehaving because if I have the power for them to behave well I also have the power that you know the responses that I'm giving and the things that I'm saying are affecting the the negative behavior as well so it's you can't you can't have one without the other right we like to pat ourselves on the back when things are going well but when they're not going well it hurts to admit that maybe I need to change some of my tactics or some of the things that I'm saying or doing mm -hmm. That's great. Now, in reading your book, you, you realize, one realizes that you truly are an expert on tantrums. Now, how to approach them, what they mean, where tantrums come from, 
and how to deal with them in that moment when you're in line in a store and everyone's staring at you for goodness sake. And so can you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think it, you know, it depends on the age of the tantrum. T traditionally, we tend to think of tantrums as a, you know, the terrible twos and the terrible threes. And right. I learned that the hard way. It's not the terrible twos, it was the terrible threes for us. Uh, but in that age range, so if, if I'm if I'm mentoring a parent and they've got a, a child between the two to three age, then my my um, my advice is is different than if you're telling me your child is four or five or six throwing a tantrum. Mm -hmm. And I can talk about both if you want, but right. the younger age. Um, I, in fact, I just went over this the other day with a parent, and I said you know, at the age that this child was, I said, this is phase behavior. And so a lot of this is understanding from the big picture as the parent, and especially if you're a new parent and you're experiencing things for the first time, you know, we all tend to see this tantrum Tasmanian devil, you know, behavior and think, you know, like I did with our son. Oh, he's just a bad seed. Thank God I have three more kids to try it. Right. Like I, I thought, oh my, how, where did this come from? I'm a bad parent. You know, we tend to blame ourselves. And sometimes we just need to realize that it's a phase and it's and so now the the question becomes how do we minimize the phase so we tend to overparent those moments thinking we have to make change oh I, yeah that's how i learned i overparented um made broad assessments of you know the type of kid i thought my son was and um and so, so if you can get a parent early enough, you, you know, they, then they can relax a little and go, oh, it's not me. It's not something I'm doing or something I'm not doing. It's just a phase. And so how do we handle that? We, we in those moments with phase behavior, we really remove our, no audience, no, no tantrum. You remove yourself from the situation, whether it means you go in the laundry room and shut the door, you go to the bathroom, shut the door, right. you ignore it, you put your invisibility cloak on and you are not even seeing it. And I remember, so with much of raising children and phase behavior, it's about predicting and working in advance. And so your child's gonna throw a few tantrums and then you're gonna start to see the pattern and you're gonna go, oh, okay, he's in this tantrum phase. Right. And in our son's case, we knew that he was throwing tantrums and it was my mom and my husband and me, and we were at the dinner table and we knew it was coming. So we all agreed to just act like nothing was happening. And we just continued eating dinner and like making up conversation. And oh my gosh, can you believe that he's even behaving that way? Oh my God. You know, just like nothing. And he's lying. Yeah. I'm not kidding you within 60 seconds, maybe 90 seconds. Nobody was reacting. Nobody was yelling. Nobody was trying to calm him down, it right. stopped. So That's no audience, no tantrum, and we tend to overparent those moments. And if a parent knows that it's the phase, then they don't need to attach all this meaning to it. Where were you 14 years <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I had to have all these tools to deal with it. Like this yeah. method didn't work and this technique didn't work. And, and I, I just need what you're saying. I just needed to let go, let him do what he wanted to do and not give it more meaning than it needed. Well, and, and, you know, a lot of what, what I teach, you know, the parenting mindset is this behind the scenes type behavior on the parent's part. So it's not like I'm letting him throw the tantrum. And actually that, that remind, let me go, let me add on to that in a second, but 
it's not like we're letting it just be, okay? In the safety and comfort of our home is where the training occurs. So if you don't, if you, if you handle tantrums at home, you won't get them at the store. Right. All right. So that said, we still do get some tantrums at the store, but the more you can lay the groundwork at home, the less it ever happens in public because they know, you know, that you mean business or that you're not going to be reacting. You're not going to be getting, giving them the attention that they're, that they're trying to control in that moment. And so if we want to talk about tantrums at the four or five, six year old level, that is a case for taking time for training. So couple times now you see the kid behaving. I want candy. I want this. I want this toy. Again, it's a pattern. You recognize the pattern and now you act in advance. So what you'll do is you'll establish expectations that when we go to the store, we're not getting candy. We're not getting a toy. I have errands to run. We're getting what's on my list and nothing else. Um, What you'll want to do is do a dry run. You, You establish the expectations and then you go to the store and just have a reason just go for the training right? so that the child can test you. And you don't now, because if you wait until you're in the moment and you're at the store and you're harried and you really need these items, now you're going to be more prone to act and give that child the attention. So now you take... Yeah, so sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's okay. So you just take the time to go to the store and train them that this is, here's my list. This is all we're getting. And then, you know, you kind of do a little drive by of the toy aisle, just taunting, <laughs> do a little drive by of the candy. And just because you want them to, you want to be able to have the opportunity to go, what did we talk about? Mm-hmm. It's not on my list. And then if they do decide to throw a tantrum screaming and yelling, you're able to just drop everything and leave quietly because you're taking time for training on that run. And then when you really are in, in the store and you're really you know, in a hurry, you're, you're, you really only have to do these things once, twice. You just act with, with, with action and not words, you know, well, set expectations. Not your book, but you describe this very situation in the book in detail. And mm-hmm. it's really something worth reading uh, for every parent who has a two or three or four year old that su- not suffers, that experiences this need <laughs> to tantrum as a suffering. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now also in the book, you have something called the B word system, which I think is amazing. Uh, (laughs) You have to tell us a little about that. Uh, So, you know, I really made it and made an effort to, to create little workstations in the house to the, where, you know, they had the crafts, you know, back, when my kids were younger, you know, we really didn't have a whole lot of the iPads and the gaming and stuff. So we were still sort of using our imagination at that point. And uh, I really had a behind the scenes situation going on where, you know, drawing books and art and just creative stimulating things to do. You know, kids' attention spans are very, very short. So uh, I had a rule uh, that, you know, we are not allowed to use. Now, I swear like a sailor, as you can tell from my the title of my book. Um, and, you know, I just told the kids, those are adult words. You can use them when you're an adult done. You know, that was, that worked. But when the kids came to me, they ever, I mean, maybe told me once or twice I'm bored. Oh, that's not happening. That's the B word. And, you know, we can let other B words slip out, even some like not so, so good B words. I never cared about that. B word is bored and we are not, that's a state of mind. So I would tell the kids bored is a state of mind. And you're not allowed to use that word because that's, 
you are in charge of the state of mind. You are in charge of, you know, your self-initiation and your self-directed behavior and what you're doing. You have the power to go and choose anything that you want to do to create a new game, to go outside, to, you know, I set the tone and the environment for them and they would have to pick and create within that environment. And so I just, that was my rule. And actually, even to this day, the kids don't, you know, we, we were visiting them in college a few weeks ago and they're like, you know, the B word mom. <laughs> so I don't, you know, I just, that was just a little rule I had and they think it's funny, but it's, it really stuck. Yeah, I, I'm sure now they do. Uh, maybe then they, they, they felt a little different. Um, yeah. Same conversation with my teenage son who uh, is struggling to find himself. So mm -hmm. he's not the kind of person who is uh, gregarious about learning new things. I'm, that's not true. He just has to be, he has to sort of fall into it. If I say one word about, hey, why don't you? No. And my wife, hey, what? Do you think you'd like? No. So he's got he's in his, own time, in his own situation. He's 17? He's 17. Okay. Yeah. Do you want my two cents? Uh, please. That's why you're here. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Teenagers, teenage brain. In Boise, Idaho, and I say this in the book, we have something called inversions. And it's where, you know, we just get fogged to the ground. Same and here. that's a teenage boy brain. I mean, it's fog to the ground. And again, remember what we said early on is that girls tend to just do things more quickly. Teenage boy brains really, and there's science behind this. I'm not a scientist. You'll have somebody else on who's a PhD. They can explain this in real terms. Uh -huh. I'm giving it to you in like, you know, rudimentary terms, but it's, it's a fog and it needs to lift and gradually it starts to lift and they start to like their, their frontal lobe starts to connect and all the, everything starts working and firing. Right. My, um, my advice on that and, and having three teenage boys and been through the process, um, what we did was we really tried to keep our kids productively busy. Right. And I don't mean that we were out entertaining them or whatever, but we had certain expectations where you need to get a job and I don't care what that job is, but like you have to negotiate with bosses, you have to plan in advance, you have to get your time up and you have to do some type of sport or musical instrument or some type of something yeah. you pick. So I create the rule and you have all this freedom within the rule to select, you know, I'm not controlling anything. I don't care where you get the job, just a job. And what that does is it starts to get them making, you know, new friends. It gets them understanding the public. It gets them understanding the value of money, all these things. Other adults. Being, yeah. Yeah. And being productively busy just means that now they're not sitting around idle, yes. ruminating and thinking too much about stuff that, you know, they're out and they're busy and they're feeling, they're building, you know, their sense of self-worth They're they're establishing money at 17. Um, but the teenage boy brain all you can really do is lead them down paths where they can maybe self, you know, realize what um, their, uh, what their goals are. We would try to lead with breadcrumbs. If we saw anything that looked appealing, right. lead with breadcrumbs, help them on the discovery process, but mm -hmm. never put pressure, never pressure never because pressure. everybody's on their own journey. And as a parent, you know, we want to realize that. And that's why I have in the book a lot of talk about 
letting go of control, you know, we feel like we need to over parent and we really don't. So that's my two cents there. Thank you. I'll take it. <laughs> now, um, we're going to take a short break here to pay the bills, but we will be right back with Susan Donnellan. Speech is one of the main components of a child's development. Without speech, it is so much harder for children to express their needs, feelings, and opinions. The ability to speak also impacts their confidence, ability to connect with others, and success in life. We believe that every parent wants that for their child. Boost your child's ability to speak. Download Speech Blub's fun and educational speech app used by more than 2 million parents just like you. Okay, we're back with Susan Donnellan uh, here on Blub Talks. Parenting expert, best-selling author. We've asked some questions. She's given at least two cents. But now I have some amazing quotes from her book that you guys need to hear, and we'll get her to comment on them. Uh, the, the first one was what you kind of mentioned in the beginning. It says, I realized I lucked out meeting a man who made marriage seem like it wouldn't suck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if, if I, I said... To my wife, if I asked my wife, you know, why did you marry me? Well, you're the first man that made me. <laughs> I'd like it. And on the other hand, I would go, well, geez, you know, it's, it's not a high bar. you know. <laughs> it is actually, it is, it is a high bar because if you have high expectations and you, you know, growing up, I always, I did have a lot of self-confidence and I knew you know, what I was bringing to the table. And I, you know, I, ex I had high expectations of the man that I was dating that, you know, he had his own, his own goals and his own career path and his own, you know, I had a lot of, you know, self-empowerment and confidence. And, and when you think, and I talked to my kids about this in terms of finding partners and stuff, you know, we really want to be actively thinking about what it is we're, what are we looking for? What are we offering to the relationship? Um, but really feel secure in yourself first. And then, you know, I would never say that any man completes me. He enhances me, right. but he's not completing me. Um, and I think so many times we're looking for what we might find deficient in ourselves in a partner. So yeah, my state of mind back then was very much, you know, dating. I didn't want to be held down. Right. I, I just... I just didn't have a high opinion of, of, you know, people are unhappily married and I'm like, I don't want any part of that. And so when I met him, you know, they say a soulmate is a stranger that you haven't, that, you know, that you haven't met yet. Right. So I knew immediately with him. And so, yeah, I thought marriage was going to uh, suck. But book and he, he's a, a tall, it, it's obviously he's a successful guy. He looks confident. He looks strong. He mm -hmm. looks he's achieved a lot. And he has, in the military, uh, he's quite important, as I understand. Yeah, he, well, he, the, the point to him was that he, you know, he knew what he wanted to do and he was willing to just um, be passionate about his dreams. And, um, you know, he committed to a life of purpose. And that's all I can ever ask for anybody. You know, I feel like I have a life of purpose. Um, I would try to raise our kids to find their sense of purpose and, you know, getting back to your son. Right. we want to lead them with the breadcrumbs, you know, giving them experiences to help them find their sense of purpose. What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, and just, you know, meeting a guy like that was just a huge enhancement to, to me as to how I felt the same about myself that, 
you know, I'm going to start my own business. I've, I, I've, I've got things that I want to do that make me happy. Um, and just, yeah, I, I felt like marriage was, was a prison sentence. Like it was just going to hold you down. Like I would rather be alone than have some guy, you know, um, dragging me down. (laughs) (laughs) What, 24, 25 years? We've been married. What our marriage? Yeah. We're close to 27, almost 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. The kind of stories I love to hear. You know, it's because it's really a decision, isn't it? Uh, it is a conscious decision. It's a conscious decision to say, this is what we're going to do. We are going to make it work. There are no other options and we will do what it takes. That means yeah. getting up off your butt, off the couch, whatever that means for you. But, uh, There's no other man I could imagine being surprised with triplets with like, this is a man, you know, you look at, you know, you think about your partner and you talk about li- living your life, you know, in the rocking chair until you're old. You think about how will I experience all the, of life's surprises with this person? Right. Um, and I just couldn't be happier still after all these years. Yeah. Well done. Excellent. Next question. Next. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Um, your first step towards parenting without giving up F is being willing to change yourself. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Uh, you remember I said, I really didn't want kids. Um, my husband loves kids. I had a couple kids for him thought, how bad could it be? Right. I'm a type A person, you know, running my own business. Um, I, I had no experience with children. I thought you just tell them to do stuff. I had no idea. I mean, I, you know, the level of psychology needed, you know? Uh, so I was, you know, pretty arrogant. I, you know, I had my ego pretty much right there front and center. Um, and when they weren't, my oldest has a ton of confidence himself. He's got all the traits that make him difficult to parent, but will make him successful someday. Mm-hmm. Um, now that someday is now. And I remember yelling all the time. Uh, it was frustrating. You know, the stress and the overwhelm begins to build. And it doesn't matter if you have four kids, one kid, two, it's all relative. We are all, as parents, it's synonymous with stress and overwhelm. So I, I just remember yelling and I had to go on my own journey of discovery. And I am a very spiritual person. I, I, I feel like, you know, this was my path I was meant. This is where I was meant to be. This is what I was meant to do is to raise these four people uh, and learn these life lessons. And I embraced them. And so as I started learning how to, to honor these in, four individuals, how to raise them, how to help them be independent and find their own purpose, I realized the first thing I had to do was get my ego out of the way. So get my ego out of the way and meant changing myself and understanding, like I said in the beginning, I can't take credit for good kids if I don't take credit for kids that are frustrating me, right. um, that are pushing back, that are throwing tantrums, that are yelling, you know, and, and, and just misbehaving the types of things that we're parenting. Right. I had to take ownership that, you know, they're responding to me. Thanks. So mentoring parents, it's not about fixing the child. It's about, um, it's about us changing and they respond to us. And that is a counterintuitive way of thinking about parenting. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Because you do think about your child and what he or she is not doing that you'd like them to do. How can I get him or her to do that? 
well. Right. You know, and so it leads me to my next quote. Mm -hmm. Here's the epiphany, lose control to gain control. This is that, what did you say? A counterintuitive mm -hmm. um, sort of look on the whole system. And, you know, that's really why I did give the book the title that I gave it, because it's like, who would ever parent without giving, you know, an F? Um, you know, lose control to gain control is really about, again, me thinking I have to overparent every moment. I need to be involved. I need to be needed. Oh, my gosh, I'm so stressed. I needed I'm needed in every minute. Right. Um, and then the epiphany for me was realizing that as I let go of control, things happened as they were meant to happen. Right. It doesn't mean that I'm not, that I'm sitting, you know, on the couch doing remote control parenting. Hey, you know, there's a lot of work going on, but the work is going on behind the scenes and it's not, it's not creating power struggles. I'm not directly addressing, do this, do it like this. Um, it's much more behind the scenes. It's much more subtle much more psychological. And that's why I really talk about my book and my mentoring is more like a mindset. When you flip that switch to the mindset, now you realize, oh, you know, this is how I can change behavior. Um, well, the it, best compliment, yeah, sorry. It, it the best compliment I've ever gotten from a parent was like them walking away, scratching their head going, how's this going to work? Right. Just try it. And then them coming back going, I, I didn't see that coming. Wow. How? you know, just these generation after generation, we keep doing the same thing with timeouts and the punishment and the, and the control. Um, and letting go of control is really about us. It's about our ego, you know, that we feel like it needs to be done the way we want it. And um, I, I have an, an interesting example that I'm part of my awakening and my journey when I had a little, like a grandma come in and watch my, my older son for about four hours while I worked from home. So she was an older grandma <clears throat> and I walked by the room and she was feeding my, I was at this time, I was trying to get a lot of food in him. So I was trying to get him to, to sleep and sleep time, everything. So I needed him to drink eight ounces and I walked by the room and she was feeding him and his head was off her lap upside down and he was drinking and, and his head was upside down. And she was, and I walked by and I'm like, he's never going to get eight ounces. What's she doing? Well, I went to the bathroom, came back. As I walked by again, she held up the empty bottle and said, eight ounces down. And I thought, note to self, you know, Sue, <laughs> you don't have the answers. This is, shh, just be quiet, stop and listen and learn. And that was the one of the first examples that I had of me going, I have a lot to learn. You know, could you imagine as the new mom, it would have been my right to say, what are you doing? Can you feed him with your arm? Um, but not only is that disrespectful to her as a grandmother who's already raised children, but that is typical new mom behavior. We tend to overparent, we tend to control. When I let go, and that's just the first example of many in raising my kids that I realized, let go of control to gain control. I'm looking at the, the following quotes here that I wrote down. Uh, once we relax control and start trusting ourselves, our parenting becomes much more purposeful. That's one. The next one is, and this one I like because it rhymes and it's easy <laughs> to remember. Listen, guide, let them decide. I mean, it's all that same thing, isn't it? You're basically turning over the journey to them where it probably should be in the first place, but it 
when you're a first time parent, especially getting to that place where you can let them go down their path. It's like letting them fall down for the first few times. It's very scary. And that's why in the book, you know, I really do talk about the whole first half is about your relationship with yourself. Um, Because for you to adopt and adapt to the second half of the book and the principles there, you really kind of have to have that first stuff, you know, the ego, you have to have awareness. It's a journey. We're all learning. We're all adapting. We're all figuring out what works and we all want to know what works. Um, But that's why I call this a foundational mindset, because once you understand the psychology of this, it informs all your other decisions and all the other ways that you start to parent. So if you really like when I get a parent that's, you know, got a child from two to five or six and we lay these principles down, they build upon all the future issues. And so we don't have to talk about how to handle all these various things. This foundational way of thinking informs all of your parenting. And that's why I say from two to 20, when you understand this, this book really covers all of that because it's a way of thinking, it's a way of approaching, it's respectful. It definitely is. And we're going to come to my favorite quote. Oh, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's by no means indicative of the rest of the book. But <laughs> in your talking about guilt, you say guilt is like having a third boob. It serves no other purpose than to make you feel weird and wrong. Now, I don't have any boobs, but I can imagine it would make you feel weird. <laughs> this is great. And guilt, guilt is in every part of parenting, isn't it? You know? Oh gosh. Well, and that's why I tried to be funny because, you know, a lot of people, there's a lot of coaches and mentors and people out there that are trying to get people to like, let go of control, let go of guilt and understand that guilt is just, you know, and I say it's a wasted emotion and, right. and it really is. It's, it's, you know, n- no amount of worry and guilt will change the past or change the, the future. You know, we worry, we have anxiety about the future, but no amount of that energy we're spending uh, ruminating is going to change anything. And so I, I, I had that quote simply because I was trying to be funny to sort of grab the attention of, of a person to say, okay, you know, this, this is how silly guilt is. It's a wasted emotion. We don't need it. It doesn't serve a purpose. Um, and we, we, and, you know, I talk a lot in guilt. I mean, I, I have all the different examples of what guilt, you know, society, the guilt that kids put on you, all of these types of ways that guilt finds its way into our lives. Right. You list four of them, I think. Four, four types of guilt. Yeah. yeah. Like guilt yeah. that you put on yourself, the guilt that others, I can't remember them all now. But uh, yeah, but it's 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 a it's a full circle way of looking at it because you know we attach guilt to others. Right. You know, you if you loved me, you would do that. You know, we allow our kids to put guilt on us. Well, well, Johnny has an Xbox. Why can't I? You know, society and with social media is trying to put guilt onto everybody. Like, you know, posting all these perfect pictures of me, you know, with my kids on a picnic and blah, blah, blah. You know, all these other what. So I try to get the parent to sort of see through these things and to understand these elements that go on that if we're not aware of them, they affect how we parent, they affect our psyche, they affect us, and none of it's good. None of it is about raising our child in the best, healthiest way possible. I think it's brilliant what you're saying about guilt because, you know, because failure is an inevitable part of parenting. 
and you oh, feel, sure. yeah. feel bad about yourself and you feel like, oh, I could have done that differently or, oh my God, my son is this way because, because I did this or my daughter is this way because I did this. And so the wasted emotion is, I think, a powerful sentiment that all parents need to listen to. Um, so listen up there, parents. Okay. <laughs> now, the big part of our, our, our session here is the takeaway. Now, your, your book talks about being for sale. And just some of the values you list are, include, um, I'm going to list um, one and then I'll ask you to comment on it. Um, having integrity builds integrity. Well, I think what parents might not realize, or maybe they realize it, but it's fleeting and they're not really embracing, is that our kids are watching us every day. Every day they're, you know, if you, if you, if your words and actions don't add up and you're asking them to do things that you're not willing to do or that you don't do, or um, you tell them, I can't drive you somewhere because I have this involved, but you're over here on your phone. You know, integrity is being a per person of your word, following through with action, just simple, basic ways of living. But, you know, we are really distracted these days, all of us, our kids and us. So, um, it's, 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 it's difficult to tell them to, to limit their gaming and limit their time on the phone while we're on our phone. They see it. And so that was kind of the point of that quote is that integrity means that I'm um, standing by my words, I'm standing by my actions and our, we are a role model, our kids are watching. Right. So if you're for sale on those issues and you're not really you know, abiding by what you're asking them to do, and I saw it all the time with my kids' friends, parents. I, I saw it. And, you know, again, it just comes back to that initial, it's, it's, it's like selfishness or ego. It's those types of things. We've got to get that out of the way right. as parents, you know, um, and, and, or be aware that they and see that's it. And I want to, you to comment on is no means no, no negotiating. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm glad you asked me about that because one of the things that, the philosophies that I have is, is very few rules. So I don't burden the kids with a lot of rules, you know, do this here and this now and very few rules. But when I execute a rule, it's not to be negotiated. So my big thing is curfew. I always had a 30 minute earlier curfew. If the kids friends were coming home at midnight, I made it 1130. But because I didn't burden them with a bunch of nonsense rules throughout the day the one rule i had they didn't you know we, i didn't deviate on so right. i made it clear to the kids guys i'm i'm gonna have expectations of you and we're gonna work together on chores and whatever we're gonna partner on these things but these are hard and fast rules your curfew is such and such you know um and and so no means no if i tell you you're not going out in the middle of the week to go see a concert or you know a lot of these parents they let their kids out during the week you know, I wanted the kids to think that, you know, it's business mindset and the, during the business, you know, you're at work, you're at school. This is, this is this mindset. It's a responsibility. Um, we're not going out during the week. That's a rule. Sorry. Um, that they're you know going to call me and ask me to deviate. Can I do this after you said no, no means no. And I'm not for sale on that. And they, you know, my kids friends thought they were cute because they would come over and you're like, Oh, I got this. You watch, I'll get your mom to say yes, because you know, my, their parents said yes. Yeah. And it's just hilarious because I say that in the book, you know, my older son was like, dude, she doesn't good luck. She doesn't, 
she doesn't play. And that's when I kind of knew I had arrived. I thought, good, you know, they, they respect right. the few rules, but the fact that I don't deviate from them, right. you know, so it's important. It gives them boundaries, doesn't it? You know? It gives them boundaries, but more than anything, it gives them confidence. They love that, even though it might seem like we're disappointing our kids. And, you know, it, it's hard to raise kids and to be the one walking on eggshells because they're pissed off at us. But um, when you say no and you stick to it and you stand for something, the respect is through the roof. Right. The kids really respect it. So, you know, that's most important right there. Sure. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the last one I'll, I'll mention that I'd love comments for is really important. Clarity and consistency equals trust and respect. So it kind of ties into what you were saying before. Well, really, I mean, to, to sort of break that one out a little bit more is like clarity and consistency means that I, I first I need to know what I expect of my kids. So I need to kind of sit with myself and say, and again, everything's phase behavior. So every now and then you have to kind of check in with yourself and see, you see a pattern starting to change and you go, okay, hold up. I see that uh, they're starting to stay out a little later or they're starting to come over and do a sleepover and pull an all nighter or whatever it is that you're dealing with, you know, you see the pattern. So once you see the pattern, two times is a pattern, right? You see something, you see it again, pattern. Yeah. I've, I, I teach parents to recognize patterns. Once you see that you're in a pattern, you stop and you check in with yourself and say, how do I want to handle this? Um, because if you don't take care of the patterned behavior, it starts to spiral and now you become reactionary. And really the key to parenting is, is, is in it working in advance and going, okay, I, I'm heading this off at the pass. I know where this is going. Check in. How do I feel about this? How am I going to frame this? Then you sit with the child um, during a non-confrontational time. You don't wait until the pattern is in place and they're behaving. You stop and say, hey, I've noticed, you know, you're, you're starting to uh, do X, Y, and Z, whatever it is you're doing. You're staying out later. You're doing sleepovers, but I see you sneaking out. I, whatever behavior, uh, that's going to stop. We're not, we're not doing that. And you set the expectations. You set the rule. Um, and you have a conversation with it. And you tell the children your expectations then you get some buy-in. And so the real takeaway here is that the, the whole crux of my book and the whole mindset and philosophy is this that I'm talking about now, which is you see the pattern, you work in advance, you set the expectation. And then when they get, you, you get the agreement. Do we hear each other? This is not going, this is not how this is going to be. We get the agreement. Then when they do the pattern again, which you know, they will, Yep. Now you're coming back and saying, what did we agree to? And that is how you create accountability right. is because you set the expectation. You, you take time for training. So you, you, you train them that this is what I expect of you. And then when they step out of bounds, because you know, they will, because they're kids and that's what they do. And that's okay. Now, instead of yelling and grounding and punishing and restricting because restriction equals rebellion, that's a new one. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So now instead of yelling and restricting, I, all I can do is have a mature partnership conversation with the child and say, what did we talk about? What did we agree to? Well, that I can't, you know, that I'm, I'm sneaking out when I have sleepovers. Okay. So what are we going to do about that? And now they start to become the author of the consequence. This works at four, five, 10, 15. It's a philosophy. It's a process. 
and it works. You're not yelling, you're not punishing, you don't need to, you're treating them with respect. Right, agreed. Now I have to say we're running out of time, but I need to tell our viewers that so far we've only gone through the first half of your book. There's so much more. You talk at great length about every parent's superpower, which is their freedom and ability to choose, which is something we could spend a whole session on. Mm -hmm. and, uh, then there's the section about magic mantra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's huge. I mean, that's, yeah. You guys need to check this book out. I'm serious. Um, <laughs> it's going to be something that's going to be with me for a long time, and I hope that you'll check it out too. The name of the book is again. I'm scrolling through my notes here uh, because I'm old and my memory isn't so good. Secrets to Parenting Without Giving Up F, The Nonconformist Playbook to Raising Happy Kids Without Public Meltdowns, Power Struggles and Punishments. Don't forget, it's available for sale on Amazon. And if you want to get in touch with Sue, Susan, uh, um, her information is going to be listed below this, this video. Um, and you'll see uh, this in uh, Instagram posts and so on. Um, so thank you, Susan, for sharing your expertise and advice and making us all smarter and more empowered. Uh, I is sharing, sharing information, and that's how we help each other. It was still, I mean, you're helping. Uh, I'm here with you, and I know you're helping at least one person, which that's means great. you're helping at least three other people who I live with. So it's, it's nothing but good. So good, I'm glad. Talks. I'm Robert McKenzie wishing you what we here at Speech Blubs work very hard to do, joy and success in helping your child speak. Speech Blubs! Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe for more content like this. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Speech Blubs. Visit our website, speechblubs.com, for more information on speech development created by experts. Last but not least, download the Speech Blubs app to explore how you can improve your child's speech with us.